The word of God comes to us this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 21. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 21. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and, and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you. Uh, I want to say hi to my family. Uh, car broke down, so they're stranded at home. Couldn't make it out. So hello, family, and especially Joshua. <laughs> Hope you're watching. Sorry about the car. Hondas are not as reliable as they once used to be. Uh, I'd like to also welcome <clears throat> a uh, couple of guests. Uh, I'm not sure if they're married. Maybe they are. Lois and Daniel, I think they're in the uh, crime upstairs, so they must be married. Okay. So Lois and Daniel, let's give them a warm welcome. <clears throat> All right. Glad you can join us. If you're new here and uh, your name hasn't been called, please uh, speak to one of our welcoming team members, and uh, we'll make sure to welcome you properly. Okay. All right, so we are continuing in our series on vision, mission, core values. I completely botched it during 9 o'clock. 
one of the most embarrassing moments, but I'm going to take a risk again. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to try this. I, I was trying to recite the uh, vision and mission statement without the slides. And so, you know, like, like anyone, you, you kind of get nervous. So I'm going to try this again. Hopefully I do it right this time. So uh, let's do this together. Uh, just try to follow along. Our vision statement goes like this, okay? Pray that I won't botch it this time. <clears throat> our vision or our ultimate desire is to see people from all nations love and serve Christ through a life transformed by the gospel. I got that, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, there's one more left, though, our mission statement. Okay, Our mission is to raise up mature and equipped disciples are committed to faithfully building their lives upon the foundation of Christ. Okay, a little practice helps. All right, so we're going to just recite this uh, over the next several weeks as we go through the series, so hopefully it'll stick and make more sense to you. Uh, last Sunday, we covered our first core value, uh, which is Christ-centered, and so today I'd like for us to cover our second core value, and answer the question of, of what does it mean for us to be a confessional church? Okay, now, <clears throat> not many churches uh, use this term to describe themselves, you know, probably because it does sound a bit stuffy, or it could at least sound that way. But uh, by the end of the message, I'm hoping that you'll gain a newfound appreciation for it and that you'll actually be thankful that your church is a confessional church and that we're not ashamed to be one either, okay? And, uh, you know, by saying that we're confessional basically means that the content of our faith does not change from year to year or from decade to decade, right? We, we don't change according to how the cultural winds blow uh, in any given season, right? To be confessional means that our faith is rooted in these ancient creeds and confessions, these set of beliefs, right, this way of life that are really meant to be unchanging. It means that the apostles, what the apostles believed and taught in the first century in light of who Jesus is and what he did is also what we believe and teach today. Right, that is basically what we mean by confessional. And this does require like, a practical commitment as well, because you know, in our theological context, by confessional, we're actually saying some you know, practical things. Like we, we practically uphold the ancient creed, such as the Apostles' Creed, or what I'll introduce later to you, the, the Nicene Creed. And we're also saying that we subscribe in our context to the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, right? That has been basically used as a, as a good summary. It summarizes in much more detail than the Apostles' Creed what we believe uh, as Christians. And so I wanted to uh, break down the message in two parts today to kind of hopefully uh, really help this idea uh, make more sense to you what it means to be confessional. So part one, why we need creeds and confessions. And I want to briefly highlight, I'm going to hit uh, five reasons why we need these, okay? And then part two, 
What is our responsibility in relation to these creeds and confessions? So there's two parts, okay? So part one, why do we need these uh, creeds and confessions? Reason number one. It's because the Bible assumes <clears throat> that there are creeds and confessions that we're to transmit to others. So we're to faithfully transmit these uh, truths to others. Right? Our, for instance, in our passage today, you can look at verse 3 and 4. It says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, okay, uh, that's another word for a different set of beliefs, okay, a different creed or a different confession. If anyone teaches a different creed, confession, a different doctrine, right, and does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and a teaching that accords with godliness, guess what it says? He is puffed up and he is conceited. He understands nothing, it says. And if you go down to verse 20, it says, oh, young Timothy, and this is like the older uh, apostles, you know, writing to the younger uh, Timothy here, says, oh, guard the deposit. And what Paul means by that is guard the deposit of truth, right? Guard the set of beliefs that have been entrusted to you and avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. And so there are these false set of beliefs, and then there's these right set of beliefs, Okay the deposit of truth that's been entrusted to you, that you're to guard, young Timothy. And these false set of beliefs, right, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith, Paul says. That's important to understand. And if you go to the next book, we haven't read the passage, but it's another, another very, very relevant passage. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, Paul says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. Okay, different language, but same idea, same concept. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. And also at the end, by the, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the, once again, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He's not talking about money here, okay? He's talking about these sound words that have been entrusted to you. Notice that Paul doesn't simply say to Timothy, you know, all you got to do, Timothy, is memorize the Old Testament, memorize the New Testament verbatim, memorize my letters, and then just transmit those letters to people, and your job is done. No. He rather talks about sound words, patterns of these sound words, essentially creeds and confessions, right? Summary, summaries of what he, uh, he's been taught, right, to transmit those things faithfully. These are a set of beliefs, Okay. And by the way, uh, <clears throat> you know, if you just take some time to think about it, everyone, everyone has a creed, okay? Whether, you, whether they like to admit it or not, even those who claim to have no creed but the Bible, or some, some like to say, I'm not sure if uh, it's popular these days, but when I, when I was a younger Christian, it was often said, I have no creed but Jesus, I have no, but my point is, even those who say that, they're living by a creed. That's their creed, right? And they may have this appearance of, like, godliness by speaking in such a way, but, you know, what it really boils down to is that they're living by actually a lousy creed because that, that kind of creed, right, uh, I have no creed but Jesus, really has no substance 
behind it, right? That kind of creed only gives people the license to live any way they want to because it can mean anything they want it to mean. What does that mean, right? I have no creed but Jesus. They kind of prop up this image of Jesus that they've kind of conjured up. Second, uh, second reason uh, why it's important, uh, creeds and confessions absolutely safeguard us from spiritual abuse or spiritual authoritarianism, okay? Uh, Think about your own personal experiences growing up, because I know that a good number of you grew up in a spiritually abusive environment, whether it was a spiritually abusive youth group, uh, whether it was a spiritually abusive college ministry. That's where a lot of spiritual abuse often occurs, unfortunately. But, you know, haven't you noticed uh, that those who do not submit to any historic creed or confession are the ones who tend to be the most abusive because they just kind of make things up as they go. That's their posture, right? I mean, the one year they teach that this is God's will and God's word, and another year they kind of shift, they pivot, and say this is actually God's will and God's word, and so you should follow this instead. And if you don't obey them, then you're told that you're actually going against God's will and that you're not a good Christian anymore, and, and see, that that is spiritual abuse. One of my former professors, uh, he wrote something very helpful, and he, he writes, non-credalist pastors and teachers, they will not write down what they believe so that their beliefs can be critiqued. Right? They may teach their churches whatever they personally come to believe the Bible says, even if that changes over time. Their primary authority is located in their own personal subjective interpretation rather than in the church's written and agreed upon creedal interpretation, which is open to public scrutiny and has been so for the, in many, many centuries. Every Christian and every church already has a creed in the sense that they all think the Bible means something that his teaching can be summarized in different words. He continues, the only difference is whether one writes a confession down so that others may scrutinize it and judge whether its teaching is consistent with Scripture. I think he's he's really uh, getting at a really important aspect of how many Christians and Christian leaders operate in our day. They kind of Make, things as they, make up things as they go, right? And it's hard to critique them because you actually don't know what they believe. They just, everything, just because they so often shift their position on things. They don't make it clear. Think about that. Hasn't that been your own experience? He's basically saying that we should be completely honest about what we believe and that we should place all of our cards on the table, so to speak, and be willing to be held accountable for what we believe as a church and as Christians. And that's why I, as a pastor, I prefer clarity over agreement. Of course, I want to agree with as many people as possible, but you know what? My job is to, first of all, make clear what the Bible teaches, right? And that's one, one thing I do in the membership class. I try to do my very best to make it clear to any potential member, this, this is what we believe as a church Make sure you understand what you're signing up for, you know? Thirdly, creeds and confessions of the church connect us to our past 
and remind us that we stand on the shoulders of faithful Christians who have gone before us. That's an important concept as well, right? But we're not this isolated bunch. We, we should not view ourselves as independent from all other Christians throughout history. Of course, as, as Protestant Christians, we do believe that every individual believer has been given the privilege to read the Scriptures on their own and to have this special access to God through His living Word. See, but that does not mean, brothers and sisters, that we deny the fact that our Christian faith is a corporate faith, that God speaks to his people, the body of Christ, the church. It's a corporate experience. We're meant to learn together. And he's spoken to his church for many, many centuries, and, and to ignore that aspect of the Christian life would be incredibly foolish. We need to glean from what he has taught the church throughout the ages. That, that is wisdom. One writer put it this way, confessions help us resist rampant individualism in our culture. There is an unhealthy tendency among Christians to think that the most important criteria in biblical interpretation is what it means to me. Well, I think, I think this passage is saying this. I think this passage... Quite frankly, your opinion matters very little. Right? It, you have to ultimately ask, what, what, what is God really saying here? What does God mean by this? Right? Not, not, not what you think it means. There's an unhealthy tendency among Christians to think that the most important criteria in biblical interpretation of what it means to me without any regard for what it means to anyone else. And so by, by adhering to a confession of faith, we humbly acknowledge that we are not the first people to read the Bible, that we can greatly benefit from the sanctified work of godly Christians in ages past. And so you should always be in the practice of sort of testing what you believe against what others have believed throughout the ages. So that's another reason why we need creeds and confessions of the church. Fourthly, creeds and confessions help unify the church body. Some of you have uh, watched the series called The Mandalorian. Okay, I, I've only watched the first season because I ended up canceling Disney Plus some time ago. But I was, I was able to catch the first season and not... I remember watching the first season wondering if the identity of the Mandalorian was ever going to be revealed, right? This guy walking around in the helmet all the time. Like, who is this guy really, you know? And it was during the final episode of the first season where the writers finally agreed to reveal some, some of the identity of the Mandalorian because until then we had no idea who he was and, and even what he looked like because he was, always, again, always had a helmet on. But there was one scene... In that final episode where someone is surprised to hear that the Mandalorian wasn't even born in Mandalore, uh, Mandalore so he asked, what, you, you weren't even born in Mandalore? <laughs> so confused. And then another character responded by saying, Mandalorian is not a race. It's a what? It's a creed. It's a way of life. That was the response. Mandalorian is not a race. It's a creed. It's a way of life. And I mentioned that example because, look, the same can be said about the Christian. 
You don't have to be born in a certain place to be a Christian, but you have to make a sacred vow before God and abide by a certain creed and a way of life, not defined by your own feelings, but defined by the Word of God revealed to us through the Scriptures, you see. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 says this, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in the full accord and of one mind. You see, you have to, you have to be of one mind if, if you want to be a Christian community, a church. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we have to agree on every single detail about life, obviously, but it does mean that we do need to agree on those very things that have been re revealed to us clearly through God's Word. And there are many things that have been revealed to us. And so there are many things that we ought to be unified on, that we ought to have an agreement on, the same mind. And confessions, brothers and sisters, help clarify what those are. For instance, if you go to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one, this is a very, parents, it's a very helpful catechism, by the way, if you want to teach your kids the basics of, of the Christian faith, catechisms are very useful. But the Shorter Catechism opens up with one of the, one of the most, if, if not the most important question anyone can ask. What is that question? What is the chief end of man? What is our ultimate purpose? Right, can you think of a more important question than that? At least, at least it's one of the most important questions. Right? What is the chief end of man? And the answer is, if you don't know this, then um, you should take a look at the catechism, okay? It's a really important document. It is what? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Right, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Right, that is our ultimate purpose, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Right? <clears throat> Confessions help clarify uh, what, what are those things that we ought to be unified upon. But I also want to say that confessions are designed to remind us of what, what actually the, the most important questions are in life. Because, let's be honest, we get, we get distracted so easily, right? Because life is busy. And, uh, you know, we begin to think that actually, you know what? These set of questions over here are the most important questions that I ought to be wrestling with. Because, you know, I mean, the, these are the things that are defining my life right now. But then, when we look to the confessions, right, we're reminded, actually, that the most, most important questions are these instead, right? the ones that the church has been wrestling with for ages. And so what the confessions do is they, they help our hearts to be recalibrated, right? to be retuned to God's priorities. If you look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, it opens with, clear statements about what topic do you think? What do you think the first topic the confession deals with? The Word of God. Right? 
That is like the, the priority, right? It's basically telling us, <laughs> yeah, th- these, these questions here that you're grappling with now may be important to you, but you know what? There are more important questions in life, like the, what are you going to do with the word of God, okay? And it talks about, right after that, God's nature. Who is God, right? So what are you going to do with God? What is your relationship with God? Then later on, it talks about repentance. Right? As, you, as you began the new year, have you really wrestled with this idea of repentance and, and the, the place it should have in your life? Well, you know what? The confession makes it very clear that this should be one of our priorities. Right? The word of God. God himself, your relationship with him. Repentance and faith. See how it kind of reprioritizes and and kind of places your attention on on those areas that really matter. That's how it functions. Fifthly, and lastly, creeds and confessions help prevent us from straying away from God's word. As you know, you know, when there are no fences, it's really difficult to know when you strayed off your own property. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, to have something fixed and firmly anchored in the ground, right, to tell you where the exact boundary lines are is a very, very helpful thing. I'm sure you've experienced it yourself. And this is true uh, when you want to enjoy some time at the beach as well, right? I was reminded of, of one summer when my two older ones were several feet out in the ocean, sort of floating about, right, just having fun while I was relaxing on the beach because I like firm ground, right? and I really don't like sharks, and so I, I prefer to stay on dry land. And at first, I could easily locate them based on where I was on the beach, but just after 10 minutes, you know, they, they would drift a good 20 feet away, right? but they're still close enough, so I wasn't really worried. But after another, tw- another 10 minutes, another 20 feet away, and so I was getting kind of nervous, right? So I have to tell me, yo, you know why? So come over back here. I'm over here. You know, I don't want to lose you. Right? See, they, they thought that they were just kind of staying still in the water, but the environment around them was gradually shifting. And see, when you drift like that, there would be no way for you to know how far you've drifted unless there was some reference point right, to firmly anchor you. At least something you can look to that's anchored in the ground, like, like dad on the beach, you know, or a buoy moored in, in water, fixed in one place. You have to have these reference points in your life. I mean, aren't you all convinced by now that truly we, we, we are like sheep prone to wander and and prone to leave the God we love and abandon the truth we've been entrusted with, given how rapidly things have been changing in our own culture and how we're so tempted to kind of move along with it. I mean, you know things have gotten really bad in our culture when people have no problem at all with the idea of moving the goalpost whenever they don't agree with a given issue. (laughs) <laughs> so they gonna drift. They they drift, and they see themselves drifting because oh my god, the goalpost is way over there. And so you know they have the, now the audacity. Right? I mean, people used to swim back, but now 
they, they go to where the fixed object is, like a goalpost or like a buoy, and they just they uproot the goalpost and take it with them. And they change the standard of the day. This is what people do nowadays. They break the rules. And so this is why we are committed to being a confessional people, because we realize our tendency and our need for creeds and confessions meant to anchor us. Have you noticed, brothers and sisters, that everything good eventually becomes corrupted over time? It's undeniable, undeniable reality. And I thought of the examples of, of what was once, you know, these, these great institutions of our day, like the Harbors and Princetons and Yales and Dartmouths. Did you know that all of these once great institutions were founded upon the idea that they should be committed to spreading the gospel and the Christian faith by raising up a godly generation. You know, they, were, they, were, they had pretty much the same mission statement we had, right? To raise up mature and equipped disciples, right? Committed to faithfully building their lives upon the foundation of Christ. They, they too really upheld that kind of mission statement. And yet, what happens over time? I mean, it didn't really take that long for each, each of these schools to abandon their original purpose and mission because it's as if the cultural currents carry them downstream. And they just kind of drifted along with the culture. See, you may think that if you just stand still in one place, you'll be okay. But no, as we're saying, as we've been saying, even though we may do our best to stand still, it's the environment around us that gradually shifts and takes us with it. And that's why we need creeds and confessions. And that, that's why there's a saying, actually, in our Reformed tradition that goes like this, which, which may confuse you uh, initially if you never heard it, because I, I confess I was very confused when I first heard it in, in seminary. But it, the saying is, is that the, the Reformed church <clears throat> is always reforming. So what? <laughs> when I first heard that, I was like, what? I, always reforming? The Reformed church is always reforming? Because when I heard the word reforming, I, I interpreted it as always changing. It didn't make any sense to me. You know, I thought to myself, why should we always be wanting to reform and change? I, I thought we're committed to saying the same. Well, I was young and I wasn't uh, understanding the spirit behind this saying because, you know, the, the reason why... Uh, such an expression exists is because of our tendency to shift along with the cultural winds and tides of our day. You know, it's like, again, we may think that we're staying in one place, but we're not. And that, that is why we're called to be vis- vigilant and always reforming and always, what it means is always returning back to the scriptures, okay? Recognizing we're always drifting with the culture, and so we have to always Make an effort to return back to our original location, right? Recovering the original purpose to which God has called us. That is what this means. In that sense, we have to always be reforming. It's it's an acknowledgement that we're flawed and we're so fickle that we will change gradually. 
So we've got to return back to God, return back to his word, to his truth. Right? That, that's, that's the purpose of creeds and confessions. That's why we need them. Make sense? Part two, what is our responsibility in relation to these creeds and confessions? First, uh, you really need to take some time to understand and to study uh, what we believe as a church, okay? And I'm not just talking about the local church here, but it's like, you know, every, I, I tell you, every church that exists is in some way linked to a larger tradition, okay? Even those churches who claim to be non-denominational, okay, I tell you, they're linked to a certain stream, right, a theological tradition. It, it's wise for you to know what that stream is, right, what that church really believes. So, you know, the, I guess if you're thinking about what is a Christian and, and uh, how to think about faith, see, the, the, the bare minimum standard that anyone should uphold is, is, you know, what we find in the ancient creeds, like the Apostles' Creed that we recite at least once a month. Okay, did you guys know that we recite the Apostles' Creed at least once a month? Okay. If, you, if you never recited the Apostles' Creed with us, before that, what does that tell, tell us? What, what does that tell you? It means that you're always what? Late. Okay. Don't be late to church in this new year. Okay. Make a commitment to show up on time, even early. Prepare your hearts, and let's recite the Apostles' Creed together at least once a month. Okay, uh, <clears throat> but you know, the creeds like the Apostles' Creed or what I'll introduce uh, in a moment, the Nicene Creed, uh, these cover the absolute essentials of the faith. If you can't uphold these basic creeds, then you know what, you really can't claim yourself to be a Christian. I mean, I, I remember there's one pastor in the area uh, that became sort of known because he would go around saying, uh, I, I have a problem with the Apostles' Creed. He's like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> How can he be a pastor if you can't even affirm the Apostles' Creed? Because, I mean, even the, even, I mean, all the major branches of the church, including the Catholic Church, right, including the Eastern Orthodox Church, they all uphold the Apostles' Creed. I wanted to uh, take a moment to introduce to you the Nicene Creed that kind of it builds upon the Apostles' Creed, if you can show that slide. Uh, there, were, there was, I guess, uh, early 4th century, there was this like big controversy within the church regarding the nature of Christ, and so the church leaders had to uh, do their part to clarify what was Orthodox faith, and so they came up with this Nicene Creed right, uh, to, to divide the sheep and the goats, essentially. And, and uh, you'll, you'll notice language that's, that may sound redundant, but again, the purpose is to clarify what, who Christ is, what, what his nature is. Because people, they were like, is he man, is he God, is he, what is he exactly? Uh, and so here's some language. Oh, no, what is this? Okay. Okay, so you'll notice that much of the language, it, it sounds like the Apostles' Creed, and so I'll skip the first uh, sentence. It's kind of an echo of what, what you find in the Apostles' Creed, but the second, uh, second part there is interesting, okay? 
very unique. Again, meant to uh, clarify who Christ is. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, that the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of, okay, in case you missed it, okay, it's, it's emphasis. He's truly God, in other words, he's not just a man. He's very God of very God, begotten, not made, not made like us, okay, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, okay? So you kind of notice the purpose of the creed. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but that, that's sort of the main difference between the Nicene and the Apostles' Creed. Okay? And so if you're living back in those days and you said, yeah, I, I affirm the Nicene Creed, what you're basically declaring is that you, you stand with a church, that you are a Christian, right? And you reject these other false teachings regarding Christ. That's what you were saying. Now, so that's a good starting point, uh, but I also want to just make it clear, if, maybe hit the lights back on, there are several creeds and confessions that uh, have given the Reformed Church its identity throughout history, and you know, the one our church and our denomination explicitly subscribes to is the Westminster Confession of faith. Uh, I'm actually for 11 o'clock service. I'll just skip the Heidelberg. I'm not going to show that, so you can kind of blank the screen. So the um, the Westminster Confession of Faith is is an important document for our church. Now, when you become a member, we actually don't have you study it. Maybe we should. <laughs> that might scare you away uh, because it's a pretty lengthy document. But I, I want I want you to to know that when it comes to our officers, our elders and our deacons, those, those we elect and ordain, uh, we hold them to a higher standard. And so we do have them study the Westminster Confession of Faith, and actually there's an examination that they have to go through. Okay? We actually test them on certain parts of it. And, so, and they actually have to make an oath that they will not depart from the confession. And if they ever do, if they ever drift, right, if they ever drift, they have to let us know, okay? Um, and you know, there, there are some pastors and elders, deacons who may take exception to like some small parts of it, and that's okay. Uh, but if there is a major disagreement on a significant portion of the confession, then, then they, they will not be able to serve as an officer of the church, okay? So that, that's, that's how it's, it's designed. Um, however, you know, whether you're, you're an officer or not, I mean, just as a regular Christian, you do need to decide on where you stand in relationship to what the church believes, okay? And so uh, you're not really off the hook. You have to be a, in order to be a faithful Christian, know what the church believes, but also understand what position you hold, right? So you can, you can, you know, be a Christian and attend a church and be a member of a church with a clear conscience. Uh, here are some questions that you should be grappling with, okay? What, what is the Word of God to you, really? Okay? Not just, you know, not just what the church believes, but what do you believe? What do you personally believe the Word of God is, right? Is this an empty document? 
right? Is this just like an inspired writing? Is that it? Or is it the very word of God that's meant to give you life? What have, what have you decided to do with the Holy Spirit? I know many of you, uh, at least a good number, you uh, were raised in a more charismatic background, okay? And, and you may have a, just a different conception of the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, maybe you've come here expecting the pastor to, you know, to offer these really mind-blowing prophecies, okay? Uh, I, had, I had, there was one sister that actually <laughs> asked me about that. I said, Pastor, why don't you ever prophesy? And, and what she had in mind was like me having this, you know, extra-biblical vision, right? In other words, something that wasn't in Scripture, and for me to kind of like utter these visions prophetically to the church every Sunday and, and also give, give members an opportunity to prophesy on, on stage. And, and so I was like, we don't do that here, right? And I was like, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin, to be honest. I've never done that. We don't believe in that stuff. Uh, and so she, she went to a church that practiced that. You know, that, that, that was a major difference between her background and what we believe as a church, right? Another question, what are you going to do with, uh, you know, the whole marriage and, and gender debate? that's happening in our culture, right? We, we've made it very clear what we believe as a church. What, what have you done with that? What do you really believe? Are you just kind of like, uh, you know, I guess privately believing in something else while the church declares that this is true? Or, you know, what, what are you doing with that? Be honest with yourselves, right? Some of you grew up in churches that ordain female pastors that teach egalitarian doctrine, right, which basically means that there, you know, there, there is no difference between male and female, uh, not even in function, not, not in, you know, and so you, you're used to that way of life, and, and you know that we believe in something else, hopefully by now. And uh, what, what have you done with these things? What do you believe? Many of you have grown up in Baptist churches, and, and you follow pastors online who are Baptists, like, you know, maybe Francis Chan or David Platt or even John Piper. Uh, so you may struggle with the notion of infant baptism. You're like, why, why are we baptizing children, you know, infants? So you have to decide on what you believe, right? What creed will you live by? And so all this to say, you, you have an ongoing responsibility to study God's Word, right, to study what the church believes, and, and you have to draw your own conclusions for the sake of honoring God and for the sake of maintaining a clear conscience on your part but also for the sake of, of maintaining a unity of the church, okay? You know, my, my hope and prayer for each of you is that in 2023, you would take further steps toward building some sound biblical convictions that would make you into someone people could actually trust and respect, okay? Look, you don't want to be someone who is equally passionate about everything and treats every issue as though it's a matter of life and death, right? I mean, don't be the person who is willing to die on every hill because some things do matter more in life than others. That's true also for these theological issues, okay? But you also don't want to be someone who is like this theological jellyfish with no backbone, who just floats wherever the current takes it. So when asked, what do you believe? Like, oh, I don't know, you know, I don't know. And there's like no substance. I'm just here because my friends are here, you know. I'm just here because the worship band is really good, you know. Our worship band is great, isn't it? It's good. 
Music is great. But is that why you're really here? Is that, is that really the, the reason you're here? You know? I'm just here because I like the music. You know, that, that kind of response will only signal to others that your faith has no real substance to it. And so I, I close my message just with an encouragement right, for all of you to, to know what is it that you believe. Right? May you live with some sound conviction this year, because that, that is a big part of what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? Right? To know what matters the most in life. And it's for your life to faithfully reflect what you confess to believe. And so may we be a, a church that raises up mature and equipped disciples who, are, who have this integrity of life, right? Who not only confess what they believe, but are striving to really live out what they confess. That is, that is integrity, is it not? That is my hope and prayer for all of us. Let's, let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you that you are the one who established your church long ago upon the foundation of Christ and through the inspired writings of your apostles. We also thank you for preserving your people throughout the centuries and enabling them to guard the deposit of truth that's been entrusted to them. You've done this through the work of your Spirit, but also by using creeds and confessions and catechisms and faithful summaries of your word. As people who have been called to love and worship you, we don't want to elevate our creeds above Scripture, but we also don't want to foolishly deny their value and practical usefulness. But in the end, Lord, keep us grounded in your truth and make us more united and honest about what we believe so that we may more faithfully bear witness to the great God whom we've been called to love and adore. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen? Amen. So stand together and give praise to God.